Uh, hey, Project Church, how we doing? Man, so good to see you. My name is Caleb, and I'm one of the pastors here at Project Church. I'm really excited to be continuing this series. We kicked it off. This is an all-new series. We kicked off last week. Somebody left some hair on this mic for me. Let me get rid of that. <laughs> all-new series we kicked off last week, and we're going to be talking about fighting, contesting for what matters most. And uh, so today, I am continuing this continuing this series by talking about fighting for unity. But over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about fighting for the lost, fighting for our dreams and goals, fighting for our marriages, and then fighting for our families or our kids and parenting. We're going to talk a little bit about that. So really excited for the series. You need to come back, bring somebody with you. But today, I want to talk to you about fighting for unity. See, we don't battle against flesh and blood, the Bible tells us. We battle against principalities, powers of darkness in this world. There's a battle going on all around us all the time, just often we aren't aware of it. And so what we need to do is open up our awareness and say, God, we're in a battle, so we need to fight. We need to fight ourselves. We need to fight for what matters most, fight for what's important in our life. And I believe something we don't talk about enough in the church is unity. Uh, how many know that unity is found in community? In fact, you see that, that word is in that word, you know that? Unity is in community. We find unity in the community that we have. And so we believe in this church that we want to build a community that is unified, that is one. So listen, I, uh, I play on Thursday nights in a basketball league. And we started our own team. We are the Project Players, all right? That's how we get down. And uh, it's been three seasons, three seasons. We have not lost a game yet. We've won two championships. Uh, we are 6-0 and this season. And in two more games, we'll be in the playoffs. And... Our team is nice, man. I got like two dudes. We got some ballers in this church. I got two dudes that played D1, one dude that played overseas. Um, I'm the scrub on the team, all right? So uh, the old man, I just stand out there and I just go passing the ball. I'm ready to shoot a three. That's all I want to do. Uh, too old to do anything else. But it's fun. But let me tell you something. Playing with these guys has built a unity. Like we're tight. We're boys. Why? Because we go to battle together. We go to war together every single week. I played basketball in college 15 years ago. And let me tell you something. Every single month, I talk to four or five of those dudes. Text them. Call them. Message each other. Why? Because we were in so, such tight community. We went to war together every single day, every single week. In fact, we, went, we battled each other in practice. I got punched in the face one time by a teammate. It was awesome. And... We're, we're tight ever since then. I believe the problem, one of the problems in the church is that we've forgotten that we're in a battle. And we wonder why we're not unified like we used to be or like we should be. It's because we don't go to war together. We don't understand that we need to battle with each other, for each other, alongside of one another. That we are in a battle and we want to unify together. And the best way to unify is to say, Let, let's fight. Let's fight alongside. Let's link arms. Let's go to war. Let's lift each other up. Let's carry each other's burdens. I want to read today from 1 Samuel chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, you can go there. I think that we're not battling anymore. We're just consuming in the church. And God is telling us it's time, it's time to battle. You're not here to just be comfortable. God didn't create you to just go through life. He created you for a purpose and on purpose. 
And so today I want to read from 1 Samuel chapter 8. This is the story of Israel demanding a king. You see, Israel, they had been delivered from Egypt by God. They came out and, and wandered in the wilderness for a while. Then God finally brings them into the promised land. Then they begin to live and dwell in the promised land, and they're ruled by judges. They have a few seasons uh, there, one season of exile because they're disobeying God, but they've been ruled by judges. They've had prophets rule over them, and now the, the prophet Samuel is ruling over them. And he's the mouthpiece of God. He's leading them, but God is really leading them. And so then they decide that they want a human king. And so let's read 1 Samuel chapter 8. Starting in verse 1. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba, yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old. And your sons do not walk in your, in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. Samuel prayed to the Lord and the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then. Obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you would give me your words today. May I share what it is you want me to share. But God, may we also hear what it is you want us to hear. God, may we not just hear it, but may we receive it. God, open our hearts to receive from your word. In your name, Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. So listen, the world doesn't need another church. The world needs a unified church. We don't need just another church. We need a church that is in complete unity with one another. Bonded together, committed to each other, committed to a battle that's going on all around us. We need a unified church. I want to see a unified church here at Project Church. So I want to talk to you about what fighting for unity takes. Because how many of you know it takes some things? It's not just going to happen on its own. We're not just going to get unity. we got to fight for it. Fighting for unity takes, number one, healthy leaders. Everybody say healthy. We need healthy leaders. I believe that this was a failure of leadership on Samuel's part. It was a failure of leadership on, on Samuel's part. If you look at, at the beginning of this, it says when Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. It was Joel and Abijah. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after game. They took bribes and perverted justice. This is what these men did. Samuel, you know what he did? He did nothing. He didn't address it. He didn't correct it. Not only that, but he appointed his sons as judges, which, listen to me, anointing is not something that's passed on from generation to generation. Anointing is not something that's given through blood. Anointing is something that's given by God because we seek God. And so you will not have salvation because your parents had salvation. You must find it on your own. You must find Jesus on your own terms, in your own way. You must seek him on, on your own two feet. 
And in the same way, these men, it was not proper for Samuel to appoint them to be judges. It was not him, his place to appoint them. It was something that God was meant to do, and yet he did it. And then not only does he appoint his sons, which he really shouldn't have, but then his sons are acting the fool, right? They cray out there, taking advantage, taking bribes, not following God, not following in the footsteps of their father, and he does nothing to correct it. A failure of leadership. How many know that leaders will fail you? Leaders will fail. I'm a pastor. Let me tell you, I fail all the time. I have failed at times in leading this church. I failed at times in leading some of you. I failed at times in, in, in my leadership journey. Yet I know that I serve a God that battles for me. That I'm thankful I don't have to be perfect because he was the perfect one. And yet in this I believe we need healthy leaders around us, but we also need to see ourselves as leaders. Every one of you in this place are leaders in some way, in some sphere, in some area of your life. And I want to tell you, you need to seek health. I need to seek health. We need to seek that we would be healthy people. Can I ask you to do something, church? Can I ask you to do something that's for me, that's for the other leaders in this church? I'm going to ask you to pray for us. That you would pray for your leaders. I don't know if you've been paying attention, if you've been on social media or on the news. Two weeks ago there was a pastor. He was 30 years old. Pastor at a church of a couple thousand people in SoCal. He had three sons under the age of eight. A wife and he took his own life. Committed suicide. Let me tell you, you have leaders in this world that are carrying things that you know nothing about. And I've found often that it's real easy to criticize people whose shoes we've never walked in. It's real easy to think they should do it this way or if only they did that when we've never walked that walk. We've never carried what they've carried. And so can I ask you to do something? Would you pray for me? Would you pray for Chrissy? Would you pray for the pastors and the leadership team of this church? Because let me tell you, I may not deal with that. Like I've never dealt with depression, you guys. I've been blessed in that. Some of you have. I haven't. My wife will tell you I'm a glasses, not half full. It's overflowing most of the time. Uh, I've never dealt with that in my life. And and yet I have my own battles. I have other things that I struggle with. I'm not perfect, and and neither is Chrissy. And I want to tell you, you need to pray for us. You need to pray for the leaders that you serve under in this church. You need to pray, pray for the leaders at your job that don't love Jesus, that you don't maybe even respect or feel like are doing the right thing, but you pray for them anyways. Why? Because we got to fight for health around us. You know that you being a healthy follower can actually build health into your leaders? I, I'm jumping ahead. Number two is healthy followers. But, but let, let me sh- share real quick. Can, can I tell you my first failure as a pastor, as a leader? Can I tell you the story? I've never told our church this story. And I want to tell you, I was 22 years old. I'm in seminary, but I'm also serving at a church in Springfield, Missouri. Um, I'm also serving at a church there. And, and I'm going to seminary, but I'm a junior high pastor at this church. And part of the, uh, the deal of being the junior high pastor was you got to live in the house on the grounds of the church for free. Come on, somebody, free 99. And so, you know, I'm a poor college student. But, but I'm working there, and, and I'm, I'm taking care of this house. And part of the job was you had to clean the house because we had small groups and Sunday school classes in the house for youth. 
And so I had me, and then there was a 21-year-old dude living in the house with me. How many of you know about 22-year-olds and 21-year-olds when it comes to, like, dorm rooms? You know what I'm talking about? And so we were taking care of this house. And so a couple months into my time there, I get an email from the pastor. He says, Caleb, this is a warning. The house is a mess. You need to clean it. It's unacceptable. It shouldn't look like this. We have small groups in here. We have Sunday school classes in here. This is a warning. A couple months later, I got another warning. Caleb, same thing. I responded both times. Pastor, I'm sorry. We'll clean it. And we did for, for a few weeks. Uh, finally, I get a letter in the mail a couple months later after these two warnings. The letter is a notice of eviction from my pastor. He says, Caleb, you have seven days to exit the premises with all of your stuff. Not only that, but I'm terminating your role as junior high pastor at this church. Now, you know what my first instinct was? It's like, yo, it's the 21-year-old. This, this dude is crazy, right? And, and it was mostly his fault. But my man is dirty. I mean, he, I'm not going to say where he was from, but, 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 but he's dirty. He doesn't clear, like, my natural inclination, not only that, but I'm like, man, this seems pretty harsh, doesn't it? That seems a little over the top that you would just send me a letter. Like, you didn't even call me. You didn't even ask me for a meeting. But then... I recognized I've been warned twice. I also recognized I needed to humble myself. And so I went to my pastor's office the next day. I sat down in front of him and I begged for grace. I said, Pastor, I'm sorry. I took the blame. I dropped the ball. I should have cleaned more. It, it, it wasn't looking up to your standards. And I'm asking you for grace. I'm asking you for forgiveness. And I'm asking you for one more chance. And he gave me a 30-minute lecture and then said, all right, I'll give you one more chance. And I never got another warning for the next year and a half that I was there. Let me tell you, fighting for unity takes healthy leaders, but healthy leaders have to know when it's time to humble themselves, when it's time to admit that they've made a mistake. Here's what healthy leaders do. They hear from God. Are you hearing from God? Is your ear attuned to the voice of God? Second, healthy leaders are self-aware. You know you have blind spots in your life? Do you have people in your life that will call you out on your blind spots and you receive it? Because I got blind spots and people have called me out on it and then it, my initial reaction is like, what? How dare you? No, I don't. I don't do that. No, you do. It's a blind spot. You didn't know. Do you have healthy leaders or people around you? Are you self-aware enough to receive when people tell you that you're off or you're missing something or there's a blind spot? Third, they admit when they've made a mistake. They don't think they're perfect. They don't think they always do it right. I'm willing to admit as a healthy leader that I make mistakes. I've messed up in the journey of this church. We've been going for over five years, and I've made a lot of mistakes along the way. This is what healthy leaders do. We aren't perfect. But I want to tell you, if we all are seeking health as leaders, because you're leaders, you hear me say, I'm a leader. If you, if you are all seeking health as leaders, we will have healthy environments. We will create healthy environments around us wherever we go. Second, Fighting for unity takes healthy followers. Everybody say, follow. Verse 6, there's this moment that happens where they've asked for a king, and Samuel basically tells them, that's not what you want. In verse number 6, he says, but the thing, it says, but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And then if we go on, I didn't read it, but in verse 10 through verse 18, 
Samuel gives them a list of all the reasons they shouldn't want a human king. He lays it out for them. He says, listen, the king is going to tax you. He's going to take your land. He's going to take 10% of what you have. Not only that, but he's going to take your sons and your daughters as slaves. He's going to make some of your sons and daughters work in the palace for him. He's going to take your sons and turn them into soldiers, and they're going to die. They're going to fight the battles for him. And he lays out all these things, and at the end they say, we still want him. We still want him. See, this is an amazing moment where the people are actually unified in their desire. The problem is they're unified in their desire for something that is in direct opposition to their leader and to their God. So hear me in this. To be a good follower doesn't mean that you won't sometimes want things. You're going to want things, and sometimes the things you want may be in direct opposition to what God knows is best for you. But hear me, God may give you what you want because he's telling you you're just going to have to learn the hard way. What you want is not always what God knows is best. If we follow well, we will listen to the leaders that God has placed over us. Samuel is telling them, he's saying, you don't want this. I'm going to give you a list of all the reasons you don't want this. And they still go, no, we want it. No, we, we want a king. We want a human king. Healthy followers, they listen to those who God has placed in authority over them. You see, I believe we're, we're obsessed with leadership. Just type into Amazon leadership book and you'll have like 100,000 options. We're obsessed with leadership, but there ain't a lot of followers books. How to follow well. No, we don't talk about that. Because we all want to be leaders. But you know in order to be a leader, you got to learn how to follow. You can't lead well if you never learn to follow well. And I'm telling you right now, those who learn to follow always end up being the best leaders. The church is obsessed with leading. But we haven't done a good job of calling people to follow. You know what a disciple is? It's a follower. A follower of Jesus. That's what a disciple is. And a lot of us say, I want to be a disciple, but I don't want to follow. I want to be a disciple, but I'm trying to lead the way. I want to be a disciple, but I'm in charge. But I know what's best. God is saying, have you learned to follow? Have you learned to follow people? I realize, man, we live in a very offended generation, don't we? We're so offended, y'all. I got to pray for 30 minutes every time I tweet. Like, Jesus, help me to reword this because I know somebody's going to get offended. I don't know that I've preached many sermons that someone didn't write me an email or send me a text because they got offended by something I said. I'm like, my goodness. We're, we're, we're an offended generation and offended people. And, and I'm recognizing that in my life even. A pastor friend of mine, he, he tweeted this this week, and I, I wanted to share it with you because I thought it was so good. He said, in the church, we've replaced that convicts me with that offends me. You see, what we've done is the Holy Spirit will convict us, but we confuse it and, and, and we get offended by it because it doesn't align with our feelings. How many of you know your feelings are fickle? Your feelings are fickle. They change day to day. The problem is in the, in the church, a lot of us have turned our feelings into Scripture. We go, I feel this way, so it must be God. I feel this way, so it must be God's word. Are our feelings aligning with scripture? 
Or are we trying to get Scripture to align with our feelings? I want to encourage you today that you would say, you know what, if I'm going to follow well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give the people around me the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to turn the other cheek. I'm going to bless those who curse me. I'm going to love those who hate me. I'm going to do what the word of God calls me to do, even though I don't feel it. I don't always feel like worshiping. But let me tell you something. Worship changes how I feel. So I walk in this place. I don't feel like worshiping. But I start to sing. And I, I, I start singing a little quieter. And then I start to sing a little louder. And then my hand goes up. And, and then I'm, I'm carrying the flat screen TV. You know what I'm saying? And, and then... And then I, I, I might bring them a little higher. And before you know it, I feel like praising my God. We have to learn to be people that follow well. In a world obsessed with leadership, can we follow? And, and that means following people who aren't good leaders. Did you know that? You, you all are surrounded by some bad leaders. I know you are. We've all experienced it in your jobs, in, in opportunities at school. I, I don't know. Wherever you might be in your spheres, we get surrounded at times by bad leaders, but learning to follow even the bad leaders, that's when I believe true character is built. Let me tell you about a story. My, my grandfather, I, I got to work with him for, for 18 months before he died. He asked me to join his staff, and he, he, I was there for 18 months, and then he passed away at a heart attack and died. But in that time, I had this encounter with him that was crazy. So we're in a staff meeting, and I just happened to sit at the other end of the table. So, you know, right off the bat, it's already the power struggle, the new generation, the young buck, right, uh, the, against the other side of the table, the old head, right. And so we're, we're opposite each other and we're having this discussion and we're disagreeing. And nobody else in the room would disagree with my grandfather because he's like, you know, the, the greatest pastor ever. But I'm his grandson, so you have a different grace, so you can disagree with him. And, and so I'm in the room, and I'm disagreeing with him. We're going back and forth, and it was like ping pong. Everyone else is in the middle of the table. We're on the ends, and they're like this. They're eating popcorn, you know, like, how's this going to end? Finally, after going back and forth multiple times, my grandfather says, Caleb, last time I checked, I'm still the senior pastor of this church. Dang. Mic drop. Shut it down. And so I realized at that moment I'd crossed the line. And so I stopped and I said, Pastor, I didn't call him Pastor very often, but I said, Pastor, you're right, you are. I apologize. What you think is best, let's do it. And then we moved on with the meeting. So I go to my office and I'm thinking he's going to be angry at me. He's going to be upset with me. But I, I'm in my office and we always went to, to lunch together at Sizzler. Come on, somebody. Buffet. I'm just about that soft serve life. That's all I'm about, okay. And, and so... We always went to lunch together at Sizzler, and, and he comes walking up. He says, Caleb, we going to lunch? I'm like, yeah, of course. Never said a word to me about it. You want to know why? Because we made a decision in that room. We walked out of that room. We were in unity. Let me tell you, I still think I was right. But that doesn't matter. I learned in that season, listen, you may think you're right, 
but you still have an authority over you. And you still have a responsibility to submit yourself. And so I said, I may think I'm right, but I will honor the leader that God has put in place over me. And I will submit myself to him and to what he thinks, and I will follow that. I never said a word to anyone else. I never talked bad about his decision to anyone else. I know you all do this. I never spread rumors about it. I never said, I tried to convince him, but he wouldn't listen to me. Never. I said, this is what we decided, and I'm all for it. And we move forward. That's what healthy followers do. We have to learn to follow, not just lead. Third, fighting for unity takes healthy churches. Man, we we need healthy churches to have unity. We need healthy churches full of unity. Philippians 2 gives us a blueprint for what a healthy church looks like. Here's what it says. Complete my joy, Philippians 2 verse 2. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Did you see that? Oh my goodness, y'all got to think about other people, not just yourself. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. That each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is what I'm talking about. A unified church, it says it's of one mind. It says a unified church is of one love. It says a unified church is of one heart. And a unified church is humble enough that they look to the interests of others, not to their own interests. I know this is hard. In a world that's all about us and us advancing. But I believe if we're going to be the church God is calling us to be, we got to stop looking so much at ourselves and start looking at what we can do for others. Looking at how we can serve. And not just those who don't know Jesus. It starts here. Nobody wants to be a part of a dysfunctional family. And I know you all are from some dysfunctional families. You all raise your hand. I'm from a dysfunctional family. But guess what? The church should be a place of health. Are we perfect? No. But we can create a healthy environment where people say, I want to be a part of that. Because that's healthy. Because there's something encouraging there. Because I feel love when I walk in there. Because people carry each other's burdens in there. Because when I have a need, someone's there to say, I got your back. We need healthy churches. Today, man, I got my button on. It says, I'm in. We have an opportunity today as you leave. We got a donut wall. We're trying to tempt you to stick around to sign up for community groups. Why? Because unity is found in community. Some of you haven't found a community here at this church yet. I want to encourage you. This is an opportunity that you would get a relationship with other brothers and sisters in Christ. You're going to get stronger in your faith, surrounding yourself with other people of faith. You're going to grow in your knowledge of the Word of God, studying the Word of God with others. You're going to get connected to people of like mind, like heart, like spirit, who are doing like things. That's what the church needs. That's what we need to be healthy. Now listen to me. This doesn't mean, this, this kind of blueprint for the church, doesn't mean you're going to think exactly alike. Thank God we don't all think alike. I love our church, man. We got people on all sides of the aisle politically. We really do. We got some of you in here, you work for Democrats because we got a lot of state workers. Some of you work for Republicans. We got people on the right side and the left side. Let me tell you something. I've preached things up here and people are like, why are you getting political? I'm like, I'm not getting political. I'm getting biblical. I will preach the word of God even if it steps on the toes of some political party. But listen to me right now. The politics is not where we stand. 
The politics is not, as the church, the like-mindedness that I'm talking about. It's the word of God that we must come in, in a line with. And it's the vision that God has given us. You want to know how we can be a healthy church? We stop majoring on the minors. And we major on the things that matter. And we say, God, I know what you've called us to. You've called us to love each other. You've called us to be a light in the darkness. You've called us to be salt in this earth. You've called us to take care of the brokenhearted. You've called us to visit the prisoners. You've called us to set the captives free. You've called us to break chains. You've called us to take the love of Jesus into this world. That that would be how we find unity. That's what a healthy church looks like. That's what a healthy church is about. It doesn't matter. We can, we can differ. I mean, literally in this room, some of you differ very strongly politically. But that doesn't matter because it's the things of God that bring us to alignment. It's the name of Jesus that brings us into alignment. It's his word that sets our feet on a firm foundation. We need healthy churches. Finally, if the band will come back. Whole band. Give it up for the band, man. Come on. Pray for the band. Pray for the band, y'all. Y'all know Satan, he, he, he was the music leader in heaven. And you know what made him fall? Pride. You got to pray for these musicians, man. They get too prideful, right? We got to keep them humble. Keep them humble. I know they got skills, but let's keep them humble. Okay, Jesus, give them humility. Give Bethany humility right now in Jesus' name. That was not in my notes. Finally today. Fighting for unity takes healthy vision. Healthy vision. I, I'm 37. I just turned 37, guys, last month. Woo. Closing in on 40. God is good. Oh, my goodness. But let me tell you, I still have better than 2020 vision. I'm proud of it. But, you know, every uh, spring season when the allergies hit, I have issues. Like, my eyes get all goopy and one of my eyelids always twitches and it like causes my vision to, to have issues and like that's an issue for my jumper y'all like I can't be having that but let me tell you you really appreciate your vision after you have a season where your vision is blurred you appreciate it more here's what I think I think for too long the church has had a blurred vision for what God is calling them to do and to be and the people of Israel had a blurred vision. Let's look at verse 19 and 20. I didn't read it before, but I'm going to read it now. It says, but the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. They said, no. There's a big exclamation point there in my Bible. Everybody say, no. Oh, it's on the screen too. Say, no. But there shall be a king over us. That we also may be like all the nations. That our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Did you see that? You see what their vision was? Their vision was to look like everyone else. Did you, did you see that? Their vision was to look like everyone else. Their vision was to look like every other nation. I got to challenge you, church, because a lot of us have got caught up in the vision of this world. And we, we think our vision is to do what everyone else is doing. Our vision is what this world says we should have. All I need, I need the picket fence, the house, the 3.5 kids, the baby, the SUV, the, the dog, and I'm good. 
that's my goal. Once I get there, that's the vision for my life. No, that's not the vision God has for you. That's not the, the vision God has called us to. He's called us to more. He's called us to change the world. And let me tell you, we can't change the world if we look exactly like it. We can't change the world if we're just trying to blend in with it. I want the world to look at me and say, something's different. You know what the Bible says? It says you're a peculiar people. You are a peculiar people. That is a great word, peculiar. I love that word. It says you are peculiar. I want people to look at me and say, there's something different, man. I don't know what it is. There's something different about those people. There's something different about those, that church. There's something different about that family. I'll say, I'll tell you, it's the vision. You see, this is the vision, that God would be glorified in all that I do, that God would get the praise in everything that I say, that God would get the glory in everywhere that I go. It's not for you, it's for him. I'm all about your dreams. We're going to talk about fighting for your dreams. I want to tell you, your dreams, they're legit. You guys got some legit dreams. Your dreams are from God, but let me tell you, your dreams will mean nothing if they're not to glorify Him. They'll, mean not, they'll be empty if they're not to glorify Him. You'll still get some blessing from it, and you'll still have fulfillment, fulfillment in it, and you'll still find purpose in it, but at the end of the day, it's like, this isn't about me, this is about Him. That's my vision, that God would get the glory in all that I do. I want to ask you, have you sought God for the vision for your life? The vision for your family, the vision for your children, the vision for your marriage, the vision for your job, the vision for your dreams, the vision for your goals. Have you sought God for your vision? Because God's going to give you a specific vision for each and every one of you. But are we asking him? Are we crying out to him? Here was the problem with Israel. Their vision was to be like everyone else. They said, we want a king to go fight our battles for us. Did you see that when I read it? We want a king to go fight our battles for us. Here's the problem. God's saying, you want a king to fight your battles for us? I've already fought your battles for you. Do not remember when I parted the Red Sea and then dumped it on the Egyptians? Do you not remember when you walked around the walls of Jericho seven times and the walls came tumbling down? Do you not remember when you walked in with 300 men and I took out 100,000? Do you not remember what I've done? God's saying, your vision is to look like everyone else, but when you put me at the forefront, my vision is so much greater. My vision is so much bigger. My vision is so much more enhanced. A vision with God will take you to a place of the miraculous. You try to do it in your own power, in your knowledge, in what you think is best, let me tell you, you might get some stuff done, but it won't be what God has. It won't be as big as it could be. I said it today. I said, and we're going to close right now, the world doesn't need another church. It needs a unified church. So let me tell you something. I can only reach so far by myself. I can only reach so far as one person. Like, I can only reach so far. Like, just, just this far. Look at this. This is my reach as one person. This is what I got. But, but if Tyler... Come here, Tyler. If Tyler stands up and touches me, wow, look, look how much further I've gotten. And then if Tyler, Tyler touches Joel, oh, oh, keep going, Joel. Oh, and then he reaches out and he touches my boy Aaron. Aaron, keep reaching out. 
and, and then he touches, keep reaching, keep reaching. How far can we go? Oh, oh, we're getting to the back now. I see you back row, people. Jesus loves you too. Keep going. Oh, keep reaching. How far can we go? Oh, we're crossing the aisle now. Oh, my goodness. Get up, girl. Come on now. Tatiana, I see you. Keep reaching, Jake. Come on. We can keep going. Bring it back to the front. We're not done. Bring it back to the front. Oh, okay. They're just going to keep going. Bring it to the front, y'all. Look at this. Look how far we can go together. Look how much we can accomplish when we're unified, when we're linked up, when we're in arms. This is what God has. We're about to take this out to the streets of K Street. You guys want to go outside? Keep taking. Oh, they're bringing it to the front now. They ain't messing around. Look, we're still going. God wants to do more together than we can do alone. He wants to reach further together than we can do by ourselves. We brought it all the way to the front. Oh, my goodness. Come on, somebody. Get on your feet. Let's give God some praise. If you believe in a unified church today, sing this with us. 